guys. Welcome to another episode of the Green Room Podcast on the Handshake Media Network. I'm your host, Neil Griffiths. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you're doing well in COVID times. I know we missed last week. Um, there was a bit of a lull with recording because, look, shit has been crazy for obvious reasons. But we're back this week. Um, and on this episode, I am beyond wrapped to be joined by Australian comedy legends and two people that I've been fans with since... Jesus, as long as I can remember, six years old, Lena and Woodley, um, who came on the podcast to promote their new show, Fly, um, which you would know if you're fans of the guys. They uh, toured that show throughout Australia in 2018 and a little bit of 2019, uh, a live show that it's now going to be... It's on Amazon Prime right now. If you have it, uh, check it out on Amazon Prime. Otherwise, subscribe. Do it right now. Um, We actually did this podcast for the very first time, for myself anyways, on Zoom. Uh, so myself, Colin and Frank uh, were chatting to each other via Zoom while staring at each other while also realising that a lot of this content might not be good for just audio. But thankfully, Zig knows what he's doing to make us sound pretty, don't you, Zig? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here's my chat with Leighton Woodley on the Green Room Podcast. Check it out. I am stoked to be joined, I want to say on the line, on Zoom, by Leon Woodley, comedy legends. Guys, welcome to the Green Room Podcast, virtually. Thank you for having us, Neil. Hello, Neil. My name's Colin Stewart Lane. Nice to be here, and uh, thank you for that very kind intro. Because normally, when we get introduced, people go, I didn't really want to interview these guys, but I had to. Um, I was looking more forward to talking to Husey. But um, that, 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 that was nice of you, Neil. Good on you. It's um, it's very great to be chatting to you guys, uh, Cole. You mentioned before we started this that you are you're quite the Zoom connoisseur now because you've you've played some poker, you've had some book clubs. Which how do book clubs work on Zoom? Well, uh, there was nine of us in the group, and um, there's a few traditions that we have on book club where we read uh, the last kind of five or six pages of the book, and then we go around the circle and talk about what we thought of the book. So in some ways it kind of worked quite nicely. We, somebody read the last kind of half a dozen pages and then we went through um, uh, the, the group of people and we all told um, the group what we thought of the book. I think essentially with Zoom is when it comes to fun activities like drinks or movies or books or catch-ups, about, there's, a, there's, a, there's a little coefficient um, uh, time uh, shift where about an hour in you all just kind of lose faith in <laughs> the fact that this is actually compensating for being together in the same room so about an hour it depends on the the, the meeting or the chat or the reason for getting together but about an hour in everybody just kind of goes I can't pretend anymore um, I'm going to go and it, it's it's quite um, an interesting little human uh, study on how quickly other people agree. Um, I, I, I'm losing interest. So am I. Okay, bye. See you. <laughs> bye. Just, I, think I, I think, I don't know about you, but I'm... I'm oh, you're out of that, here. Are you lost interest on that wow. answer. Um, yes. I've got a little thing I've been working on. I don't know. Do you know, how, how hygienic is it for a dog if you know the dog um, so you know what its kind of um, behaviours are. If it's your dog, how hygienic is it for that dog to lick your mouth? Hmm. How long? Where is, has the dog been around you the whole time? Yeah, it's your dog. You keep an eye on it. 
Has it got coronavirus symptoms? What's that? Has it got any coronavirus symptoms? No, no, see, that's the the whole thing. I've got this plan. I've got this idea that if you're feeling lonely, right, you and you've got someone who you could possibly get a romantic relationship going with, but it's not working under these circumstances, you both have a trained dog, right? And then you go in for the kiss and then that's, you've trained your dog, you close your eyes and that's when the dog swings into action. Mm. That's, like a big, that's a lot of training for a dog though, is it not? But think of the benefits. <laughs> Like, that's a lot of benefit. If there's ever a time to train a dog, yeah, a pandemic is the perfect time. Because I've been training my dog and so far I've got it to sit and stay, but I can't get it because my ultimate plan is that it will be able to use a credit card and go to the supermarket. But I I can't get it to, because it hasn't got a thumb, I can't get it to hold the credit card properly, so it's kind of doing it in its mouth. And Anyway, we're working on it. We're working. So this is how you're spending your time during COVID, Frank? That's it. And also my family have got an exercise regime we do, which is um, climbing the walls. Mm -hmm. And we climb the walls about three or four times a day as well to keep physically fit. Did you see that video the other day, Frank, of some kind of ancient... um, uh, 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 (laughs) I'm going to say Eskimo, but maybe it was um, Native American or some kind of um, ancient civilization where the dog actually puts its tongue inside the human's mouth to um, to alleviate bacteria in the... Um, is that true? It is true. I saw it. I saw it. Um, um, where would I have seen it? Um, oh, that's right. Online. Um, <laughs> uh, which is... Which is which it's got to be true. Right. But I've heard, I've heard about dogs words. licking wounds. So I think maybe it might even was, have... Wouldn't that be great? getting in the tongue, like the dog was licking inside the, the woman's mouth. Wouldn't it be great if it turned out that my ridiculous scheme for adding kind of um, erotic intimacy turned out to be a cure for coronavirus as well? Let's try it right now. Okay. Here you go. I want to ask you guys, because obviously Fly is out on Friday on Amazon Prime. I was lucky enough to see it and thinking... I saw it at Chatswood in July 2018. I don't know if I'm sure you guys have done hundreds of performances of this. So there's no reason why you should remember it. I was in the second row. Yeah, you were the guy with the beard in the second row. Yeah, yeah, and I got ejected. Yeah, that guy. (laughs) I was was in the second row. And at some point, there was a a mother and a daughter in the front row. And they were just having the worst time. I don't know what happened. Cole, I think you picked up on it during the show because uh, I I think, Cole, you made a joke. Everyone laughed and you kind of made eye contact. You said, well, they hated the joke. And then everyone laughed because everyone around them knew they weren't laughing. When we went to intermission, we come back for the second act, they're gone. And I think, Frank, then you mentioned something about that. Do you guys remember that exchange at all? Because it it almost looked like it was set up. These two people, it's like front row tickets is a a conscious decision. that I don't get front row tickets for some guy I've never heard of. I'm, they just disappeared. I'm just having a flashback to a show that I did in Brisbane just before, just like it was actually the last three days that you're allowed to do gatherings of 500 people, yeah. the solo show. And a thing happened where a woman got a phone call. It's a similar thing. Like it was like a mother and daughter type situation. A woman got a phone call and answered the phone. And of course I kind of started making fun of them. 
And then the daughter just looked at me and was like going, <laughs> like that? And I just, I don't know if I even, I don't think I told the audience that the woman, the daughter was going, no, no, don't. And then the woman got up and walked out. And there was this really weird situation where I did make fun of her walking out. Yeah. But in my brain, I'm going, there's clearly some horrible, tragic stuff going down here. And I don't want to just use these people's misfortune for my, you know, as a comic device. But at the same time, a woman in the front just walked out. So it was a really weird... So. I hope, I imagine, did I do a similar, did we talk about like, now, why now that that story, and, I think, I think the mum did whip out her phone and Cole said something about the fact, get off your phone. And the daughter and her just did not like the job. I don't think something horrible happened. It was like, if you got told off while you're minding your own business at a, at a cafe or something. You know they, what? I, I reckon it's a similar thing. I reckon there was something they had to go. They didn't not come back. This is my theory. Because I choose to believe that we're hilarious and everybody loves us, Neil. And it's not conceivable no. that there might have been two people who didn't enjoy the act and for that reason they left. But so you, I, never, I, you never know what's happening, Neil. Exactly. You never know. I, they might have got given tickets um, from the people that couldn't come. They had to be talked into it. They might have lost a family member that day. They might have just come back from the wake. Oh, we better go and see that show. We've had a few drinks. Or it could have been uh, a similar situation to the lady who came and saw the show in Wollongong and left <laughs> after 10 minutes because she said to the usher as she left, she went, well, this isn't a show about the Wright brothers. No. This is not yeah. a, a show about the historical significance of Orville and Wilbur Wright and about <laughs> the first people to to, to, to to operate a powered aircraft across 100 metres. This is nothing of the sort. And we go, she's a she's an idiot. What, what would she okay. possibly you swear be crazy. And then, we, and then we looked at the program that the Wollongong Comedy Festival had put out and that's what it looked like it was going to be. It, it, it didn't say anything about zany, madcap, wacky, comedy aficionados. It just said this show's about the Wright brothers. And so she, she had a point. The poor woman. Like, I don't think we even mentioned the Wright brothers for like 15 minutes no. into, into the show. And then really, uh, as, if you, as you've seen the show, Neil, mm. in terms of it being like an educational experience, about the Wright brothers. I mean, did you feel like you learned anything about? I learned some. If I'm being honest, that's because I knew very little about the Wright brothers. Right. So uh, you learned the fact that we did the, did it in English accents when they were actually American. You learned correct. they were American. Yeah, correct. Yeah. <laughs> I think that I think that Neil probably learned as much as we did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To clarify, what do you remember? Do you know what row that woman was in, and was she by herself? No. No. Because oh, no. I kind of remember that because didn't we say, wasn't there something about a babysitter or something? There's an issue with the babysitter or something? Or was that, was that a different show? Because that kind of, it, it kind of rings a bell. Maybe that was the opera house or something where they said, because they picked up, because the phone rings and we hang shit on them for the phone ringing. And then some people pick up the phone and have a chat, you know. And then we go, what's wrong? And they go, oh, there's a problem with the babysitter. I have to go. And you go, well, that's, that's completely fair enough. Although I have heard stories of people who have gone to see Melbourne Theatre Company 
and their phone's rung and they've picked it up and they've answered it and they've gone, yeah, I'm at the MTC. It's shit. It's a shit play. <laughs> and so I, that, that's embarrassing. This is, this is true. It wasn't a bit, it was a show in the Adelaide Fringe one year. I was in the audience and a phone went off and I was like, oh, that really shits me when that happens. And then I realised it was my phone and it's in my bag and I, I could have done the right thing and just dug into my bag and turned it off straight away. This was in the days when actually it rang on for quite a while. And, uh, but I didn't do that because I didn't want to be exposed as the person with the phone. So I just sat there going, oh, please. <laughs> like that for a few minutes, just tutting, tutting my ass off, you know. And then after, after about 10 minutes later, when nobody, then I reached in and was like, <laughs> off. I mean, looking back at that incident, the Chatswood show, you guys handled it pretty well. Do you still get a little bit put off by that? Like you've mentioned a couple of instances there where someone just gets up abruptly. Look, I think it's probably true for the vast majority of comedians. You don't necessarily want, like if there's hecklers who heckle and, and they wreck a whole routine that's kind of building up, you know, momentum, and then they heckle again, they won't shut up. And that can be annoying. But basically, if anything happens that doesn't normally happen, you're wrapped. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it gives you an opportunity to play, to get into the moment, for that show to be unique. You know, we're, we're actually, like, I'm, I'm personally shocking. Like a little piece of fluff, as Colville attest, a little piece of fluff can catch the light. And I'm like, oh, I've never seen that twinkle in the, in the theatre firmament before. You know, I'm... Just, I, I think I, is you're looking for is Collingwood detest, not Collingwood <laughs> attest. Collingwood detest. Collingwood attest that he detests my lack of focus and concentration. Back in the um, old days, I don't even know whether whether I should be saying this on something that's being recorded. But sometimes, nervous. In in the old days, shows would be going pretty averagely. Back in the days when I think that we had limited confidence and we were doing shows to, you know, maybe 70 people or something at the Fringe Festival or even the Comedy Festival or something, and the show wouldn't be going that well, and we'd have a little whisper to each other, fuck up, fuck up, do something wrong. So fuck, fuck, do something wrong, do, do, do the fuck up the show. And that would sometimes um, spawn some enlightening kind of you know improv to kind of get over that fact that we'd made a mistake or it would drive you deeper and further into the abyss of people thinking that you were were, were shit because as frank sometimes says you know it takes a lot of rehearsal to make something look this shit and when you're when you actually are shit on purpose it's like rusty bertha scared with little guys who used to be in a five-part harmony group called the phones they were doing a show at the legendary um, Melbourne comedy venue called The Last Laugh. And for the first three songs, they did them in really bad harmonies because it was a bit of fun. But then to actually come back from that point and then trying to convince the audience that, no, no, we actually do know what we're doing. (laughs) You've kind of lost them. Yeah, right. You have to be, um, you have to be very careful, but it, it really depends if you're, if you're at the comedy festival and you've done Tuesday to Sunday and you've done two shows Saturday and two shows Sunday, and then on the second show on the Sunday, Frank sees a fluff 
piece of fluff flying in front of the light and goes, what's that, Cole? I go, I don't fucking care. <laughs> what I what I want to do is finish the show, give everybody a great time, and then go and have a glass of water. That's what I want to do. So can you cease and desist? Yeah. That's our new comedy duo name, cease and desist. <laughs> well, actually, I was, I was thinking then, like, growing up, and watching your specials and I remember seeing the island as well. And I have that DVD, that moment in the island when the briefcase catches on fire, your reactions make it look like that was not meant to happen without breaking comedy secrets here. Was that a gag or was that particular moment in that show a mistake? I think it's safe to say that that was on purpose, that we did that every night because it's a fire and we're going to make sure that, um, but we have, luckily, we have this little, I mean, most comedians probably have it, but we have a slight advantage if we're going to try to do that particular little bit of sleight of hand. We have an advantage in that our stage characters are slightly, um, you know, rarefied or exaggerated. So if we just subtly drop out of, drop out of that performance mode, it does create a very strong impression. So we don't have to be great actors or anything like that. We just have to go from the kind of the character mode just into like being ourselves on stage. Mm. And it can create a very strong impression mm. that this thing is really, has really gone wrong. Mm. So it's one of those things where it's one of the, the boy who cried wolf, where you've got to be very careful because if you do it too much, the audience actually doesn't know they don't know. I mean, it's the great fun of it. They don't know what's real and what isn't real. But we had an experience years ago where we were doing a thing where we were creeping to the stage in, in darkness and then a spotlight was going to come up on us. And the audience knew that that was the premise that we're trying to make our way to the centre stage in the darkness. And we were knocking, it was all sound effects, basically. We we're knocking things over. And But one of the sound effects we did, I grabbed this aluminium A-frame ladder and that was lent against the wall and I pulled it back and I smashed it into the wall as a sound effect of us and then pushed it over of us falling over something. But on this one night, as I grabbed it, as I pulled it back, I smashed it into Cole's face, into the corner of his eyebrow there and split his eye open. It was all bleeding down his face. And Cole went, ah, oh, hit me in the face. And the audience all laughed. It's in the dark. And then I went, oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry. I didn't, I'm sorry, are you okay? And he goes, no, I'm not okay. The audience all laughed. He goes, there's blood, there's blood everywhere. The audience laugh. The audience laugh for about 15 minutes and then Cole went to hospital. So um, I think they kept on laughing. Actually, he didn't go to hospital. He went out to the first aid area. Lights come up. I improvise for 10 minutes thinking, am I ever going to see Cole again for the rest of this show? He appears 10 minutes later with like a big Band-Aid on his, and a little, what do they call, butterfly clip and a yeah. Band-Aid on the ridge of his eyebrow. The audience still don't know if it's a joke or not. Yeah. And we just then go on, you know. So imagine if, if we were doing that particular, oh, God, it's, it's big as, you know, it makes you, it's chilling, that particular thing in the island with the fire mm. and, it, and everybody thinks it's a joke. And then if the theatre catches on fire and people go, how do they do that? The effects are awesome. But to answer your, but to answer your question in a slightly, slightly smart-ass way, we... <laughs> we lit that fire by mistake, but we lit it by mistake every night. Yeah, the same accident happened every night. We really needed to. Every, sh every show of that season and that show, we lit that 
suitcase on fire by mistake. It's not properly fire trained, guys. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but it's that that that's I think that I'm gonna kind of blow smoke up our ass a little bit here. I've got a comedian friend in London and we both went to see the play that goes wrong. Have you heard of that? Um, haven't seen it. Obviously. It's, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a, 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 a bank robbery heist play where things go wrong on the stage and people have to cope with the mistakes and that kind of thing. So it's kind of Lane on Woodley esque. Mm. Although the friend of mine that I went to see it with, he said there was not that element of danger like there is with Lane on Woodley. People do. Because they have to, because they're, you know, they're in London, they have to do like nine months of this show. They have to make it look dangerous, but they actually have to be really, really careful because the the, 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 the stakes of the show are, are very important. And, you know, they have to do eight shows a week and all that kind of stuff and pay the bills and all that kind of stuff. So with Lana Woodley, where it's a bit like the audience is actually on the edge of their seat mm. because they don't know whether we're actually going to be injured. And in some ways we kind of don't know either. Mm. And, and we kind of, we were responsible with the fire. We, lit on we were responsible <laughs> with the fire, but you, you, we, every, every show for good or bad is, is different. Well, even thinking like the goodbye show where you bring audience members up on stage with the big yeah. trampoline mat and Frank, you, have to, thing. you have to just trust what 20 strangers. Yeah. Yeah, we did. We did. Um, we did that in um, years earlier, and there there were a couple of incidents where um, I hit the I did hit the floor because the the thing we, what we all we used when we were originally doing it was basically a big nylon tarpaulin that we bought from you know from not Bunnings but you know Mitre Ten or something. Mm. And um, what's the difference? What, and you it, didn't want to say Bunnings, but then you said something that's... I just like thought, no, I thought Bunnings didn't. Bunnings. I don't hey, think, Bunnings, they're a sponsor of the show, please, if you could. <laughs> I don't think Bunnings were even around when we originally did it. That's what, Okay, that's well, make how, sure how, your, your we, stories are accurate in, from now on. <laughs> so, um, anyway, we just had a big kind of tub. Was it home hardware? Was it home hardware? Okay. Or was it... <laughs> and, and there were no handles on it. And a couple of times the audience is surprised by how much force would come down that they would be catching and it would slip out of their hands. And I, it didn't, it wasn't like I just fell from five metres onto the stage. They mm. broke my fall, but I kind of went <laughs> like that onto the stage. And um, so, you know, it wasn't ideal originally, but then we got a, a fireman's mat made with canvas and handles. And in that show, you can see that we, there's a bit in it, a bit like I was saying before about how we drop out of character. Mm. There was a, like a tonal shift. I don't know if you can see it on the Goodbye DVD. I don't know if it's evident, but when we do it, there's a, there's a tonal shift where I look, I look at everyone. I go, I need to get everybody's eye contact, mm. everybody looking at me. I'm really going to jump. And I just, I don't say it as a comic character. Yeah. I just say it as Frank who doesn't want to break his back. Yeah, you know? and that slight tonal shift means that I think, for the most part, people. Some people are going. There's no way he's going to jump, but they're still going. But hang on, he. I think I'll be ready. 
I think in the Just old the days as well, we probably only used about eight people. And then we thought to make absolutely sure we should get 20 people as in, so there's five people on each side instead of two people on each side. So, and then, you know, Frank would sometimes humorously and then other times just with severe panic, just going, not that guy, not, not him, <laughs> not him and not her. Us. I'm sorry. Yeah. This is very, very you don't want to be, you don't want to be, um... but you know, yeah. <laughs> that yeah. seven year old kid. No. Yeah, exactly. That's because kids would get up enthusiastically because they wanted to be part of it. Yeah. Didn't we do a whole thing where you had to have, Cole had to inspect people's genitals to make sure there was a substantial amount of hair there before anybody could come to the stage. And then we decided that that could possibly lead to a jail sentence and we left it at that. <laughs> and then I was going to make a joke about that. And then I just thought, no, 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 you're, you're on your own. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, while I'm just thinking about that goodbye show and mistakes that are potentially not mistakes, the woman with the tennis racket, was that a setup? The you woman who would not let that tennis racket go. No, no, I think there's, I've got a feeling, if I'm not mistaken, that on the DVD, there's two versions of that tennis routine. There's like, there's one that was in the show and then there, I think there's one on the extras where the woman, we ended up rolling around, wrestling the woman on the floor yeah. and rolling yeah. around. That definitely, that only ever happened once. That was, right. that, that was, was just. We yeah. don't, we don't set that stuff up because one, it, um, it, in, impinges on our um, integrity of the duo in action and the purest form of the two personalities working together side by side for the entirety of the show. And two, we can't we can't afford it. We're not we're not we're we're too tight to actually pay for a stooge to to turn up every night for five minutes. There's no way. There's yeah. no. But we no. Nah, we're not we're not doing that. <laughs> and you actually realise that about um, if you go and see magicians or mentalists, often people will go, I reckon there were stooges in the audience. And very occasionally there is maybe one stooge who is the, the wife of the magician or something like that. So someone who just travels. Or the husband. The or the husband. <laughs> exactly. Good point. Thank you. Yeah. Very occasionally it's the husband of the magician or the wife of the magician or someone like that. Mm. Um, but almost always it's not stooges. They've got some other way of um, dealing with genuine audience participants because, as Cole said, it's just really not viable to, to do it with stooges. You know? mm. Take me back to 2017 because if I recall... The announcement that Lane and Woodley were getting back together for Fly kind of just came out in a press release. It was just announced they're coming back. Everyone knows that since you guys did part ways, everyone has been calling for a Lane and Woodley reunion. It didn't really happen. Then in 2017, it was just, we're getting back together, we're doing Fly. How long had this been in the works before it was publicly announced? I think we broke up in 2006. We did our last show the 25th of November. I think 2006, which is Remembrance Day. Um, was it wasn't gay marriage we introduced gay, in them? No, that's no, that's a, when a, we came a, back. Forget so it. That was a joke you did when we came Australia back. Australia getting into the World Cup. And then I think it was January 20, 20, um, 2007 when we started talking about getting back together. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> no. 
Um, December the first, two thousand and seven. <laughs> there were a couple of times, honestly, Neil, during the during the tour, because we, because of course, when we were doing that goodbye tour, there's like this outpouring of of extra enthusiasm for the act because you know the the response we were getting was maybe like ten percent higher than normal than we had been getting for the last few years because it was this special thing. It was a goodbye tour, right? But so as a result, we were just absolutely loving doing that tour and having having an absolute ball. And there were a couple of times where, you know, throughout the tour, we'd just be in the wings and we'd look at each other and go, we've made a terrible mistake, you know. <laughs> we can, will they understand if we just go out there and go, actually... This is just an idea for a show about us, but really, we're not. You know, we're coming back next year. But, um, but I what happened was, I think, what, yeah, but, but, Zig, um, <laughs> I think, I guess, if we did that show in 2017, then we would have started thinking and talking probably about a year before that. I guess what, probably what early. happened was. 2016. Oh, yes, we did the Comedy yeah. Festival 25th yeah. birthday. 30, wasn't, it? wasn't it 30 years? 30th. I think it was 30 yeah. years. And that was that was that in 2016? Yeah, I think so. So so we did we did um Susan Proven, who runs the Melbourne Comedy Festival, there was a big event uh at the at the Regent. At the Regent? Yeah. Yeah. No, and it was at Bunnings. It was at Bunnings. It was in the big warehouse. And um, Bunnings Warehouse. Comedians we, are just the beginning. We, um, we did this the reunion show for the Melbourne Comedy Festival and Susan asked us if we'd like to reunite for that event and that was like 10 years after we'd um, split up. Mm. So it felt like it was a good, you know, we, we went, yeah, that, that could be fun. It doesn't feel too soon it feels like we could come back and do this do this thing and we just wrote a, a five to ten minute original routine about getting back together for that event and it was really good fun basically it went really well and it ended up being more or less the first five or so minutes of of fly which is about us getting back together but not being on stage at the same at the same time and so we we've done that routine and Afterwards, you know, the, the eyebrows just went up, you know, in the dressing room up because we were still very good friends. It wasn't like we'd had this big falling out and there was like a, things that needed to be resolved before we could and trust needed to be, you know, re-won because I'd gone off and, you know, done comedy with David Collins from the Umbilical Brothers on the side and Colin walked into a comedy venue and seen it and been like, <gasps> you know, there was nothing like that. Yeah. So... Um, Although so, I have since done shows with David Collins and the Umbilical Brothers. He's much more inventive, enthusiastic, reliable. He's very, you know, if, like, for example, if you were going to do a Zoom interview at 3.30, he'd be online at 3.30, not at 3.37 or 3.42 or anything. He'd be online at 3.30. But essentially, what was I going to say? Because I think I just said that so I could say something funny and also just get people to listen to me for a second what was i going well, to say that worked we're listening to you oh shit full attention um something about i was saying there was no animosity between us when we when we got back together there was no, but, I, but i think in, in in some 
In some, no, I mean, no, I mean, yes. I think it was, it was fun because when we decided to do that um, gala, 30th anniversary gala, we didn't, we tried not to tell anybody and make it a surprise on the night. And we were, and because none of the audience knew that we were coming and only like Susan Proven and two other people at the comedy festival knew about it. So it was kind of a bit of showbiz fun. And then when we decided to get together and do a whole show and do a tour, we tried to keep that secret as well. Mm. Just, just for the showbiz kind of romantic fun of it, because in some ways, you know, it's true, truer now than ever that, you know, in those 10 or 12 years where we were apart, not really anything that we did was as fun as, when we were working together, mm. you know, there was a, you know, we, you did, you did theater or you did musicals or you did whatever, but to actually write, produce and, and create your own show is something incredibly unique still and a, and a huge thrill to do. And yeah, you can, and you can go off and do, you know, proper theater at the MTC or the STC or whatever, but you have to do what you're told. <laughs> constantly and you can't yeah. and if a line isn't working in the play you're not allowed to drop that line you're, you're, you're not allowed to do a pratfall on entry or you and and like frank was doing an mtc show 12th night wasn't it yeah 12th night and he one of the biggest challenges for him was that he was on stage for 10 minutes and then he was off stage for half an hour mm. but I had a very similar experience to this Zoom call, actually, where I was, um, I think I was, I was just, when I was meant to be calling through to you, um, yeah, it's a bit like the thing of the bit of dust in the, in the thing. I, my, I find it very hard to concentrate. And I had the experience um, just now of sitting here watching something on YouTube and then the phone call rang me and I went, <laughs> like, I literally did that. And, and I had an experience. What on YouTube? Um, what was I watching? I think I was watching something about um, camera lenses, actually. So nothing very exciting. And um, well, were you looking at dog, dog tongue kids? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Dog training. Very soon after you got on the call, Frank. Yeah. Um, but I had an experience doing the MTC where I'm in the dressing room, like doing a, a crossword, you know, and then just suddenly just going, <laughs> I think I'm going to Have I? I've just been in that space because it's too, I don't like. I don't like being on or off or on it. So, yeah, when we're doing our thing, we can just do it. Uh, and also there's just something with... There's, there's a few different elements that make performing in Lane on Woodley really special. One of the things is that obviously... Hang on a, hang on a sec, yep. No. <laughs> One of the things is that um, that in a way, me and Cole are both... Um, our particular stage personas do work better in relation to each other. Mm. Like there's something about um, that chemistry that we don't even really fully understand, but it's, it's sort of like when I'm performing with Cole, I really enjoy it because I, I don't have to have any res I don't have to be the responsible one on, on stage. And when Cole's performing with me, there's something about the fact that he can just vent his frustrations on me in a way that is just very spontaneous and very 
it's not as if we have that kind of relationship in real life, but there's just something about that chemistry that that means we can really sit comfortably into it, you know, and it works it works for both of us. But also there's something that that is you know, recently Tim Brooke Taylor passed away. I don't know if you're a fan of the goodies at yeah. all. We're probably a bit too young. But um I saw the video you guys did, yeah. It's really good. Right. And Tim Brooke Taylor and the goodies were were really a significant part of my my childhood and my teenage years and and very seminal for me in terms of discovering comedy and having that particular love for for comedy coming through through those those guys so even if tim brooke taylor or graham garden did something else that was equally as um well performed and well written i personally i wouldn't have the same affection for it because there's something about me discovering that those characters in that world that just makes it very um, I'm very attached to that. So yeah. I think for our audience, it's a very similar thing that um, I still get, I'm sure Cole does too, but having performed solo for 12 years or, or however, but I will still have people call out, where's Cole? Or call out, um, sing Bouncy Rabbit, which is one of the, the Lana and Woodley That's songs. because I come to Frank's show and I go, where's <laughs> <laughs> I keep asking Cole to stop stalking me. There's a restraining order. It's all complicated, but yeah. um, but you know, and, but we and, don't like to pay stooges, but Frank pays the stooge, and, <laughs> and you know, in one in one way, there's a little part when that happens in a in a solo show. There's a small part of me that goes, "Oh, I wish you could just enjoy what I'm doing solo without being distracted by the fact that Cole's not." standing beside me, you know, but that's really only a tiny part. Mainly, I just go, nobody would be here in this audience if I hadn't have done, if I hadn't have worked with Cole. And this solo thing is, for lots of people in the audience, is always going to be the B team, you know, because they they love, they, they, they love um, what I do because they were introduced to it. Through, Did that through ever time. bother you at all, especially directly after Lennon Woodley went separate ways? No, it didn't bother me. I was really, I, I was really wrapped that that people were that there was any audience there at all. But there was a little bit. The only way that you would say that it bothered me was as a challenge for how do I how do I work with this situation? How do I say yes to this without without making my whole act? being about the fact that Colin's not not there mm. how do I how do I have create a sort of a new solo persona while at the same time completely accepting that it's the B team mm. you know so it's a it's an interesting so so that was I wouldn't say it bothered me but I but it was a bit of a challenge to work out my yeah. the first big solo show I did um, I created like a um, show, it was a show called Possessed and I had a double act with this woman who possessed me who basically was had the function of, like I should have called her Colleen, you know. I didn't even realise it until afterwards. She had the function of doing all the things that Colin would do to me. Yeah. On, she she was the, the one who was um, high status and 
you know, frustrated by my stupidity and, you know, slightly, um, you know, insecure and uh, a bit, you know, um, egotistical or whatever. So I'd created, I'd basically just gotten coal, but I didn't even realise I was doing it, you know, because that's um, where I learned my comic craft is in, in relation to coal, you know, so. Because you guys left or, or went your separate ways at a time when Lane and Woodley were by no means done. The, the, good, the good days weren't behind you guys. You left while you were still on top. When you get together and start writing Fly, is there an expectation of, are we going to just ruin this great finale that we did with the big goodbye tour and what people remember us for now coming back and doing a show that just won't land with people? Was that ever a concern? Or was it more about just two guys getting get back together and having some fun? I think, um, um, I, first of all, we didn't want to do old material. Mm. We, did, we didn't want to do a best of. We didn't want to do Sonia and, you know, stuff from the island and that kind of stuff. We wanted to do a new show. And that was very important to us. Um, but I think sometimes, you know, there was that paranoia where, you start to think, oh, we want to come back, but will the audience want us to come back? And and it, it doesn't matter about the whole kind of quality of the show, but are you going to go, we're back, and the audience is going to go, eh, do you think you should have? Um, <laughs> what, why, did, why did you come back? But I think there is a tendency sometimes in this crazy old industry to overthink things. And if you look at it just kind of with common sense and the and because of like what you said, we went out when we were still pretty popular. Mm. When we came back, we were there was a reasonable sense of confidence that people would be happy that we were coming back. So and and maybe we also felt like we'd left it long enough as well. Like that's another sort of issue that we discussed, like you can't do a big goodbye thing and then come back in two years. You know, you've got to, you've got, you'll feel like you're sort of betraying that. The, audience, I, the relationship with the audience a bit, you know. So. I, think, I think in some ways, I don't know whether we should be saying this in public, Frank, but I think in some ways the most dangerous time is about now because when you say, because Frank and I always kind of half joked in interviews that when we did the goodbye show, it's a bit like leaving a party. You get to the, you, you, you start to leave a party and then you say goodbye to everybody and everybody goes, don't go, don't go. Oh, because no, you have this, people think that they're not going to see you again. So you have this fantastic five minute conversation with everybody at the party. And then you get outside and you go, oh, we shouldn't have left. Let's just go back inside. And then you go back inside. And it's not as good because people go, oh, you're back. Uh. But then, you say goodbye and then you say hello after 12 years and people go, yeah, you're back. You're crazy, Lucas, you're back. And we're so thrilled. And then what happens with the party kind of analogy, if you say you're back and then three years later you go and, and we're back again. Like if, if we do another show in a year or so, do people kind of go, yeah, it was exciting when you came back and, and now, oh, oh, you're back for good. Oh, so it's not, it's not going to be, 
it's not going to be as exciting. But surely because the way everyone received Fly, you, mean, you, know, you guys did a bunch of shows and you did a, a regional tour, I think, after you wrapped the first round yeah. of shows. Are you guys talking new show ideas or uh, is the party analogy very much a real thing where you're, you just want to wait a little bit longer? No, we're, we're talking because the response was so good. I think that we've definitely started to think, talk, um, what's the, um, pontificate about um, that kind of, because the, as I said before, and, I, and then I contradicted myself, is that if you overthink it, then you just get yourself into this quagmire of kind of self-doubt. But because third generation fans are coming to see the show, People that we grew, people our age are having children, and those children are having children, and so you're getting seven-year-olds that have never seen us live. Hmm. I'm not saying it's just a purely fiscal thing, but there's just this audience that wants to see um, comedy maybe, that a, a wide age group would enjoy. So, and maybe that's got, the thing, you've got a an bit, audience there that really want to see it. So, the, I mean, the the basic way that we. Hey, I'm just it. looking after my dog. You keep on talking, Frank. And give it a pash. For me. Um, the basic uh, the basic thing was when we when we got back together to do fly was that we we kind of went. I reckon that the audience. I reckon there will probably be an audience for this show. We don't know how how big, but big enough that it's worth you know worth the effort. That sort of makes sense, and we'll enjoy writing it and we'll really enjoy performing it mm. so that all made sense and then we did it and it, it couldn't have gone better like it went it was sort of um absolutely as good as we could hope for in both in ter terms of our experience writing and performing it and the way the audience received it and so then you just go as cole says the common th sense thing is you go well do you want to do another one like it's as simple as that you go you want to do another one and cole goes yeah, probably. Yeah. And then you try it, you put together, you make it as good as you can. And then at that point, if the audience go, you know what, you know, you're going out to pasture boys. <laughs> like at that point, then you go, okay, the audience isn't coming anymore. You know, we wanted to keep making them, but there wasn't a demand for it. So maybe, maybe, you know, but but we'll probably do another one because it seems like we're enjoying it and people are... I mean, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever said in my life, okay? But people don't go and see 10 Tom Hanks films and then just go, yeah, I, re I reckon you're done. Right. Tom. right they, they, go and, they go and see Tom Hanks films because they like Tom Hanks. Yeah. You know, and so... We like Tom Hanks, so what do you want to go and see? Something. Do you want to go and see something tonight? There's a new Tom Hanks film on. Yeah. Let's and go and see Tom Hanks. One of the ideas we're talking about for the next show is like we're not exactly sure how it's going to work, but it's like a biography of Tom Hanks, and we're both playing Tom Hanks. Although, don't you play Wilson and I play Tom Hanks? <laughs> yeah. yeah, at the moment, Cole will only let me play Wilson. <laughs> and that's only one small part of the Tom Hanks story. So you I'm are on stage all the time, though. You said you wanted to be on stage, so... <laughs> yep. I heard that somebody, when Tom Hanks... Did you hear this? I don't know if it's true. I want it to be true. But when he was in isolation, somebody did roll a Wilson volleyball into the... I think... No, I think the hospital did it where he oh, went... Oh, they did? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, but unfortunately, it was much like the Wilson ball from the film. It was actually blood on it that came. <laughs> yeah, right. It was all kind of a bit awkward. Like a carp. 
Yeah, the face was actually still made out of blood, so it was kind of backfired. <laughs> well, here, here's probably my next and probably last question. So, thanks for coming by, guys. The the same question I had about as far as coming back to comedy, everyone still talks about the adventures of Lane on Woodward. Does the party analogy sing true for as far as coming back and doing a TV show together, or doing a what would it be a third season of the Adventures of Lane on Woodley? We we would Correct. love to do something yeah. like that, but the but the reality is that um, it's very hard to get the funding for something like that. So mm. even though even though there would definitely be, I mean, maybe Cole, maybe we should try to work. It's hard to know. I was going to say we could do a gorilla version of it, where it's like we produce it low budget, and then the audience who would love it. There's definitely a big audience who would love it, but are they big enough to justify? the ABC or, you know, or Amazon Prime or some network actually funding the production. Whereas me and Cole, I think we'd be, we'd be open to doing, we'd, we'd doing something like that. Rap. And I don't, I'm struggling to try and figure out how truthful I am with this, with this question <laughs> because... Live dangerously. I, Go on. I, I don't want to be um, crotchety old you know, annoying prick guy. But I, I to, a, to a degree, I agree with the thinking is in that what TV networks, not so much kind of international streaming networks, but commercial TV networks in Australia and even the ABC to a degree, they are not looking for middle-aged white men. Mm. They, they, right. they're, not, they're, not, they're not looking for that. So... And I, I think that's a reasonable course of action. Um, but I think also new doesn't necessarily equal quality. That's, so so they've know. got to find, they've got to balance out, I guess, all those different factors for particularly something like the ABC where they're, they're spending, you know, they're spending the communities money they've got there's all of these basically i think me and Cole are both quite sure that when they go into their you know funding meetings on the whiteboard lane on woodley in big letters and a little somebody hasn't written a star next to it and go um the most important thing is we've got to find something for lane on woodley. <laughs> <laughs> and they've been banging their heads for you know for 10 years trying to work out how to and and, and unfortunately neither frank or i or i I cook that well, and neither of us are very handy no. um, building shit. So, those. Well, I'm actually. I've, I've been trying. I I did it. I've been trying to um, get into the into the cooking thing. Like for the past sort of about, I don't know how long it is. It's about three years. I've been working on these recipes, and I finally released my book, which is 101 Ways to Cook a Bat. And the sales are just like shocking. So I'm going to have to try another, some other path. Unfortunately, the, the craze right now is married at first sight. So I don't know if you guys are eligible for that, but oh, that yeah. is the new craze. MasterChef is 2019. Right. Is it married at first sight? Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, we're, we're going to be on a new dating uh, show. It's called The um, Pensionerette, um, <laughs> where we just, it's, it's, and it's, it's sponsored by um, Apia. Um, Australia's Pensioners Insurance Agency, and it's just it's it's me and Frank just trying to come out with people that are retired. Um, 
We and do. We do the it's thing. It's really going to catch on. We do the thing where where I mean, and this is not really a good thing for sound. It's a visual thing. But we do the thing where it's all done on on Zoom, and then when we sign it, like probably about the first third of the program is the conversation that happens on Zoom, and then the last two thirds of the program is everybody trying to turn off Zoom, going. <laughs> I can't. Where's I can't that? Get like, it. Can you, can you hear me? Can you... I was going to get a screenshot of that. That was perfect. <laughs> right. Oh, good. And just people freeze. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, Lena Woodley, thank you so much for coming by the podcast, or virtually, I suppose. Uh, I'll, I'll do the outro after this, so I won't bore no you. But thank you so much for coming by. It was, it was great to meet you virtually thank again. Um, and I hope we can see you back on stage soon. Thank you, Thanks Neil. Thanks so much, thank Neil. Big thanks to Lena and Woodley for coming on this week's episode of the Green Room Podcast. The show is called Fly. You can watch it right now on Amazon Prime. Uh, and hopefully we see the guys back on our stages and TV screens very soon. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you all next week.